welcome to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Today, we look at the fourth book in the X-Wing series, The Back to War, by Michael Stackpole, the final book in the first arc of the X-Wing series. Now, it's been really fun to reread these books. Uh, the X-Wing books really are some of my favorite series in the Legends timeline. But before I get into the Back to War, let me tell you how you can contact me if you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, or if you just want to have a conversation. This podcast is about the books of the Legends timeline, but I enjoy talking about all of Star Wars, Legends or Canon. So feel free to contact the show with whatever you want. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or tweet me at Legends Lounge 1. There's no question this week, so let's dive right into the book. X-Wing, The Back to War, by Michael Stackpole. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The Back to War is the final book in the opening arc of the X-Wing series, the pilots of Rogue Squadron have pledged to liberate the planet Thyfera from Isain Iceheart and the traitor Arisi Delaret. Thyfera is where the galaxy's supply of Bacta is manufactured, the miracle substance used to treat just about any wound or illness. Isard and the Zukfra Corporation control the planet with her superstar destroyer Lusankia, a pair of Imperial Class II star destroyers, and a Victory Class star destroyer. The New Republic government has refused to get involved with ousting Isard because the Bacta Cartel wants Thyfera to remain a neutral planet in the Galactic Civil War, enabling them to sell to both sides of the conflict. In order to pursue Isard, liberate the native Thyferans from the Zukfra Cartel, and rescue the political prisoners on Lusankia, the rogues resign their commissions from the New Republic military all but Pash Kraken, who returned to command his A-Wing squadrons. Our story begins with the rogues looking for equipment and a base of operations. Wedge and Tycho research a number of possible sites that could serve the rogues, but all have their problems. The solution comes from Pash. He and his A-Wings are ordered to destroy the space station orbiting Yagdul that the rogues previously attacked to steal a cache of Bacta. Pash forges his reports about destroying the station and offers it to the rogues. Wedge, Corrin, and Mirax then head out to purchase X-Wing parts and weapons. Through her connections, Mirax is able to get Wedge a meeting with Talon Card, the infamous smuggler and information broker. Card tells Wedge he'd be happy to sell him the parts he needs, but there's another potential buyer. Card offers to hold an auction between the parties, but the bidding never happens. It turns out the other prospective buyer is Booster Tarek, Mirax's father. He's not a fan of Corn and admonishes Mirax for dating him, but Booster has always liked Wedge. He tells Card to sell the parts to the rogues at a discounted price. When Card refuses, Booster tells him that if he sells the parts to the rogues for cheap and they're able to liberate Thyfera, Card can then expect to receive a supply of Bacta to sell on the black market. Card agrees and sells the X-Wing parts and munitions to the rogues. 
So the rogues now have their base and their supplies, but Wedge knows they'll need help to wage a war against Isard and the Zuckfer cartel. He enlists the help of former rebels Elskol Lelro and Sixtus Quinn, freedom fighters who've helped lead revolts on several imperial worlds. Loro introduces the rogues to the Ashurn rebels, a group of Vratix revolutionaries and former members of the Zoltan Corporation, the other Bacta cartel that was ousted by Zuckfra. In addition to Loro and Quinn, Corin and Mirax learn that former rogue Bror Jace is alive and helping the Ashurn. Jace flew with the rogues when the New Republic defeated Imperial General Evir Derricote at Borlaeus. Jace then left to return to Thyfera. He was ambushed and was presumed dead after the wreckage of his X-Wing was found. But Jace says the Zoltan Corporation got word of the ambush, smuggled him out of the area, and staged his death. Since then, Jace has been fighting with the Ashurn. With the help of Ayala Wasiri, the Ashurn launch a number of terrorist attacks on Zukfra facilities. Meanwhile, the rogues stage some hit-and-run attacks on the Bacta shipments leaving Thyfera. Wedge donates most of the Bacta to Coruscant, but gives some to Mirax, Booster, and their smuggler friends to sell, taking a portion of those profits to finance the war. Isard is enraged by the attacks, but more than that, the attacks by the rogues and the Ashurn put her under a lot of pressure. They're cutting into the profits for the Zuckfra Corporation. Isard tasks the former Imperial Moth Flurry Varu to use his underworld contacts to find the rogue's base. She also orders Erisi Delaret, the new head of the Thyfera Defense Force, to lead aerial strikes on parts of the Thyferan jungle where the Ashurn are suspected of hiding. Meanwhile, the rogues continue to hit Isard's back to shipments but she sets an ambush at the Alderaan Graveyard. When the rogues attack her convoy, Isart's Victory-class Star Destroyer Corruptor springs a trap. The fighting is fierce. The rogues are outnumbered by TIE Fighters 3-1, to while the Star Destroyer's powerful turbo lasers batter the smuggling ships. The outcome looks bleak. Riv Shiel is killed in the attack. But the tide turns when an automated Alderanian battle cruiser emerges from the graveyard, attacking the Star Destroyer from behind. The cruiser buys the rogues the time they need to coordinate an attack on the Star Destroyer, launching dozens of proton torpedoes, destroying the ship. Now following the victory, the rogues investigate the Alderanian cruiser and discover that it's the last of a three-ship task force designed to be fully automated. The task force was designed to answer an Alderanian comm signal into battle, and during the attack, the comm signals from Tycho Selchu's X-Wing mimic the signal, turning on the cruiser and aiming it at the Imperial Star Destroyer. Wedge decides to give command of the cruiser to Captain Errol Numb, the only rogue with experience commanding similar ships. Following the destruction of the Corruptor, Isart decides to try and flush the rogues out of hiding ordering an attack on a small colony on the frozen planet Halonet. The colony found itself in the midst of a pandemic and, in their desperation, accepted some of the stolen Bacta from the rogues. Isart uses Arisi and her TIE squadron to destroy the colony and vows to attack others to accept any stolen Bacta from the rogues. Wedge now knows the clock is ticking, but before the rogues can attack Thyfera, 
he knows they have to neutralize Isart's remaining Star Destroyers. Luckily for the rogues, the captain of one of the Imperial-class Star Destroyers, Sayer Yanka, has grown disillusioned with Isart's leadership. So Wedge offers Yanka a bribe. If he and his ship, Avarice, defect, Wedge promises to talk to the New Republic leadership when and if the rogues return and put in a good word for Yanka and his crew. Yanka and his crew agree, and the Avarice defects and is renamed the Freedom. Finally, Wedge and Booster develop an ambitious plan to neutralize Lysankia and Virulence, the final Imperial-class Star Destroyer. They leak the location of the Yagdul space station to Isart. She takes the bait and sends both ships to destroy it. Booster then traps Lusankia with the station's tractor beams and, using 80 proton torpedo aiming sensors, tricks the captains of the Star Destroyers into believing that the station is about to launch hundreds of proton torpedoes at Lusankia. Virulence, acting as bodyguard for Lusankia, cuts in front of the Super Star Destroyer, breaking the tractor beam lock and allowing Lusankia to jump back to Thyfera. Now Pash Kraken's A-Wing unit then arrives at Yagdul, and between the tractor beam lock, the fake proton torpedo threat, and Pash's three A-Wing squadrons, the virulence surrenders to Booster Tarek. Meanwhile, the Lusankia arrives back at Thyfera, expecting to find the rogues and their retrofitted fleet of cargo freighters. But the rogues aren't there. Just as Isart and Lusankia's captain realize they've been tricked, the rogues jump into the system, followed by the freighter fleet, along with Captain Yonka and the Freedom, trapping Lusankia in orbit around the planet. Now on the ground, Ayella and the Asheran rebels attack the Zukfra headquarters. They arrest Fleury Valu, but Isart and Arisi escape. Corin and Tycho lead a flight of rogues in pursuit. Corin pursues Erisi, following her around Thyfera's moon. The two trade glancing shots, but Erisi is no match to Corin in a dogfight. Corin shoots down the traitor and watches her TIE fighter crash into the moon's surface, killing her. He then speeds off in pursuit of Isart's shuttle. But Corin's out of proton torpedoes and the Imperial Security Director is about to jump to hyperspace. But just as Isart is about to escape, Tycho suggests the same trick the rogues pulled on Corrin right after the squadron had reformed. Since he's closer to Isart, Corrin locks his targeting computer on the shuttle and then feeds the information to Tycho. Tycho then launches his last two proton torpedoes, destroying Isart's shuttle. Now the battle ends with the rogues, the freedom, the virulence, and the freighter fleet battering the Lusankia into submission. After the victory, Wedge contacts Admiral Akbar and the New Republic, offering them Lusankia and the Freedom. Of course, the New Republic accepts the Star Destroyers, and Akbar offers Wedge and the Rogues the opportunity to rejoin the New Republic military, saying he misfiled their resignations. The Rogues accept, but Wedge wants their first mission to be to search for the prisoners that Korn and Tycho had been held with in Lusankia. It turns out that Isart moved the prisoners off the ship shortly after arriving at Thyfera, shipping them out to hidden prisons throughout the galaxy. The story ends with Korn and Mirax getting married 
and with booster Tarek keeping the virulence. He agrees to surrender most of its weapons to the New Republic and renames the Star Destroyer the Errant Venture and plans to turn it into a flying trading post and casino. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about the Back to War and the entire first arc of the X-Wing series. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Hey everybody, allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed. Inspired by the video game Star Wars Battlefront, Twilight Company tells the story of the 61st Mobile Infantry as they battle Imperial forces on multiple worlds throughout the Mid-Rim. The fighting is brutal and dirty. The soldiers are cynical and bitter, but ferociously loyal to one another. If you want to see the gritty, ugly side of the Galactic Civil War, check it out. That's Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, talking about the book X-Wing, The Back to War, by Michael Stackpole. The Back to War is a satisfying conclusion to the first arc of the X-Wing series. However, much like the second book in the series, Wedge's Gamble, a lot of this book feels to me more like Wraith Squadron books. Now, not quite as much as that second book. There are more starfighter dogfights. There's more of the rogues flying in battle against TIE fighters. But there are a lot of the commando-type raids that you get in the Wraith Squadron books. I'm not saying they're bad. They're not. They just don't feel like Rogue Squadron to me. However, that does not mean that I don't like this book. I really like this book. I really like the first arc of the X-Wing series. I was trying to think if it's my favorite arc in Legends, and I don't know if it is, but it's definitely up there. And I like the fact that it doesn't rely on the main characters that we have from the movies. I believe the X-Wing books are the first ones where the big three and then Lando, so I guess you could call it the big four, but it's the first time we ever see stories where they are not the main characters and they are not the ones saving the day in the end. So what is it about this first arc that I really liked? Well, I enjoy military stories and I enjoy stories about a team of brothers, a team of friends, a team of compadres that are united to achieve a goal. You know, so much of Star Wars involves the Force and these beings that can do supernatural things, be they Jedi or Sith or any other type of Force user. And believe me, I understand that that's the heart of the Star Wars saga. And I love that stuff. But occasionally, I do like stories involving, quote-unquote, the little guy. I mean, it is called Star Wars. 
there are aspects of the wars that don't involve the Jedi or the Sith. I enjoy reading the parts of a squadron of soldiers, or in this case, a squadron of pilots, and the highs and lows and the hardships that they endure in the Galactic Civil War. So these books came out in the mid-90s, and this is when Legends was really ramping up. We were getting a ton of content, but almost all of it revolved around the Jedi, specifically Luke trying to revive the Jedi Order. And I think the X-Wing books were just a really nice change of pace. And maybe it was because they didn't involve Luke, Leia, Han, Lando, that I gravitated toward them. And I've kept going back. You know, this is now probably the fifth time that I've read this opening arc of the X-Wing series. And I still like it. I still think they hold up. Now, there are aspects of it that don't hold up. I was never a Corrin Horn fan when I first read it. And I think when you read some of the stuff today with how Corrin thinks, eh, it probably doesn't hold up great. But... I do think the story holds up, and I think the camaraderie between the pilots still resonates. So when it comes to Legends material, I think this first arc of the X-Wing series is in that group of must-read books. There's probably a group of about 12 to 15 must-read books if you really want to enjoy Legends. And I think this first arc is in that group of 12 to 15 books. Now, I know the last couple episodes I haven't talked too much about canon and what we could possibly see from it. Because, you know, I went over a lot of that in the first book. Could we see Rogue Squadron in canon? Well, we are going to. I don't think they're going to be the same characters. And it's not going to be in the same point in the timeline. But... We know that there is a Rogue Squadron movie coming out. I believe it's in 2023. So we know we are going to get the Rogues in canon, and we know that it's supposed to be a fighter pilot movie. I'm really geeked for that. Is there anything else that we can see in canon? Well, there are some things that already have made the switch over. The planet Thyphera, the healing substance Bacta, and the alien species, the Vratics, that manufacture the Bacta, they are all canon. Now, not nearly as much is known about Thyphera, or the Vratics, or the manufacture of Bacta in canon, but they are there. It's basically the same background information that you get from Legends. It's just that in Legends, there's a lot more of it. Now... A couple of the other things I think you could see in canon. I get a sneaky suspicion that sooner or later, Talon Card will be made canon. I don't think he's going to be in the same time period in canon that he is in Legends. In Legends, he's almost exclusively post-Return of the Jedi. I think in canon, he might be used more in the time period preceding A New Hope, sort of where 
the movie Solo a Star Wars Story is set. You know, there's rumors that we may get more stories coming from the characters and the storylines set up in Solo, whether it be the Huts or Crimson Dawn. We do know we're getting a Lando series. Now, we don't know if that is similar to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series it was announced. That's a four-episode or six-episode event series, or if it's actually going to be a series, I would tend to think it's probably going to be the former. But I would think a series that involves Lando and possible other series or movies coming out of the characters in Solo are going to deal with a lot of underworld and shady characters and storylines. And I can see Talon Card, a smuggler and information broker, fitting nicely into that area. Now that's not to say that Talon Card wouldn't fit in the timeline in canon like he is in Legends. You know, they've already announced the Book of Boba Fett series, and we know we're getting a third season of The Mandalorian. Those are both post-Return of the Jedi. And at least the Boba Fett series appears to be an underworld-type series. So I think we could see Talon Card in the future. We could see Booster Tarek and Mirax Tarek. They're smugglers. I don't think we'll see Mirax Tarek Corn Horn together. I don't think we're going to see Corn Horn in canon. But I do think you could see definitely Talon Card and possibly Booster and Mirax Tarek in canon in the future with the stories that they have announced. And I'm not just saying they have to be on the big screen. I think some of these stories are going to be published, whether it be in a novelization, or comic books, maybe that's where they enter canon. In a Crimson Dawn book, or a Boba Fett comic, something like that. But I would be surprised that if we don't eventually get Talon Card into canon. Another thing that I really like about this first arc of the X-Wing series is the number of alien species or alien characters, I should say, that have prominent roles. Are they the main characters? No. But they play prominent roles. You have the Twi'lek, Noara Venn. You have the Gand, Oral Kurg. You have the Bothans, Asir Silar, and of course, Borskphalia. I still want Borskphalia in canon somewhere. I don't know where, but I want him there. But whether or not I ever get Borsk into canon... The one thing I would like to see more of in Star Wars canon are prominent alien characters. I haven't read all of the canon novels. In fact, I've probably only read about half of them. And I definitely haven't read all the comics. I'm not a big comic reader. But of the novels and comics that I have read, there just seem to be a lack of prominent aliens. Now... I did read the first book of the High Republic series, Light of the Jedi, and there are a couple prominent aliens 
in that book. So maybe in this High Republic publishing initiative, we're going to see more aliens in prominent roles. But that's something I always enjoyed in Legends, at least when I was growing up. Now, going back and rereading these, maybe I'll realize, eh, there weren't as many as you thought there were. But when I was growing up reading these, I always thought there were a number of alien characters that did important things, and especially here in the X-Wing series. So, what did we learn from this first arc? We learned that Corrin is Force-sensitive. We learned that 12 ace X-Wing pilots can accomplish the impossible. And we learned that Wedge is a badass. Well, no, we always knew Wedge is a badass. But the first arc of the X-Wing series confirms Wedge's badassery, if that is a word. It is now. So, before I wrap up, I'm sure you want to know what book is going to be on the next episode. Well, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to force myself to read the 25 or so Legends books that I haven't read yet. As far as I know, I own all the novels in the Legends timeline. 176. But there are 25 or so that I haven't read yet, most of those taking place during the prequel era. So I'm going to start remedying that. For the next episode, I'm going to read the earliest one of those chronologically, Maul Lockdown. So please join me on May 7th for the next episode. Until then, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask me a question or send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Canon, legends, doesn't matter. Anything. Let's get a conversation started. Until then, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. We actually passed over 500 downloads recently. So thank you so much for that. And please continue listening. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.